When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. Oh, what? New intro. It's, uh, well, it was supposed to be episode 100, and it isn't. It's episode 96. And then uh, I thought it was upload 100. And it ended up being upload 101. So what ended up happening was, I'm going to give myself an excuse now. Um, basically, Podbean said it was episode, what I thought it was going to be episode 100. Now, it includes the tidbits as episodes. So I told our guest for this episode he was going to be on a big episode. We had this new intro planned, as you just heard. It was going to be a whole big shebang. And then, sadly... Uh, it isn't. <laughs> it isn't any of that. It's not up. It's not upload 100. That was gonna be my cover. It's not <laughs> upload 100. I was gonna cover it. I was like, man, yeah, like it is an episode 100, but it's upload 100, and we could do this because the tidbits. Like, I'll just say the tidbits is count counted for this one time. No, didn't count. So, uh, this is episode 96, otherwise known as upload 101, and we have a brand new intro as you just heard. Pretty excited about it, as you can hear, and we also have some new transitionary sounds. Ooh. For when we need to transition, might hear one when I transition to the call. Ooh. But um, I clearly I'm at a loss because the intro covers a bunch, so I don't, I'm I'm off my script now. But uh, we'll do weekly pain points after I do this little intro for. Uh, well, no, let's do the weekly pain points, Mike. Whatever, let's we'll do the intro for our guest after that. Sounds good. Uh, weekly pain point for this week is today. I was on call almost the entire day and not on call as in like I got to wait for a call. No, I was literally on a call <laughs> for, for almost the entire day. I woke up early, so I got a little bit of dev work done and then I just started call after call after call after call. Had a little bit of food, just like literally scarfed something in my mouth. And then I was on call with this podcast till almost, I, I don't know, it's it's 9.30 p.m. here uh, in Canada. Yeah, a lot of calls. That's my pain point. All right, that that is certainly a lot of calls. Um, my weekly pain point is uh, I didn't think of one, and I erased it from the show notes. So uh, <laughs> don't. That's look a good at me weekly like, pain point. No, just leave it at that. That's yeah, the, that's yeah, the perfect I, weekly pain point. I erased brain, my yeah. I erased my weekly pain point. Is my weekly pain. The other point. one is the epic. I don't want to say fail, but the uh, the unfortunate instance of it not being episode one hundred. Oh, I, or, I suppose. I suppose. That. Or upload a hundred. That that is, that's what that's what I would call your weekly pain point. What a what a horrible like. I even told <laughs> the person that put together our intro. I was like, man, it's gonna be episode a hundred. It's gonna be awesome. And then I was like, no, no, I'll cover it up. It's gonna be upload a hundred. And then you broke it. I think I might. I don't know whether it's in the recording or whether it was in our pre conversation with David, who's on this episode. But um, yeah. Uh, it's it's not it's not either of that. So upload one zero one episode ninety six, come on down. But uh, this week, uh, we sat down with David Lindahl, um, a familiar face to the show, who has recently gotten hired, who had recently gotten hired as a, a UI developer uh, when we last spoke. But a lot has happened since then, so we'll just kind of let him take it away with that. We had a pretty lengthy discussion with him, 
and uh, actually just now we're recording the intro last so there's that so we're gonna cut over to that with a special sound effect more than likely unless i don't know how to edit that together in which case you'll get that on episode 100 maybe uh and because <laughs> i wasn't nothing, nothing has been prepared effects. this week like the interview was prepared and then nothing else was prepared but in any case we're gonna cut to that interview now all right, everyone, we got uh, David and Mike on the line, so uh, I'll let them sort of take it away. And David, you can uh, catch us up on where we last left you off. I think it was back in uh, somewhere around episode 38 when you were recently hired as a UI developer. Great. Yeah, uh, David Lindahl here, front-end developer. I'm excited to talk to you guys a little bit further about the journey, and um, it's fun to kind of check in every now and then with HTML, all the things. Uh, I think you talked to me back even before I was technically a developer and then after i'd gotten that first job so we'll continue that conversation it'll be fun awesome yeah so uh kind of just uh take us through take us through what uh what you've been up to what what's happened since then i know that i think you were just a week or two into uh your first full-time position last time we spoke so what do you you know what, what have you been up to i know there's a, been a lot that you've said on social media and stuff like that but uh you know for those that uh maybe don't follow you on there uh what, what what's up what's going on <laughs> yeah, there's probably a lot that don't follow me, <laughs> which is fine. Um, uh, yeah, the last two-ish years, I've been working as a user interface developer, basically a front-end developer, fancy term for that, at a creative marketing agency here outside the Seattle area. Uh, it's been a really great experience. Um, I worked on a lot of websites for clients that we have. Basically, we work to build websites and experiences and all sorts of stuff for outside clients. And so companies like Microsoft, SAP Concur, as well as Sony, those were some of the mainstay clients that I built websites for. Specifically, I was on our team that worked on the Sony Alpha Universe project for over a year. And that was a really cool project, basically their photography community platform that they write blog posts for and create products and um, create features. And so we were doing a lot of that stuff for them on that platform. And that was pretty unreal because the footprint for that realm was really large. Like the alpha, the Sony alpha Instagram account has over a million followers, I think. And so I'd often see websites that I built that I coded linked in their Instagram stories and on their advertising. Um, so to see, and then I would also see other photographers who I admire and love. And cause I do photography on the side as a, uh, as a note, um, they would be posting links to these, these pages that I built and that was that was pretty cool to be uh just a witness to that and kind of just thinking about it behind the scenes because I didn't never really disclosed it or anything like that but it was it was just pretty cool um so yeah the last two years has been at Indigo Slate and then we'll get into it a little bit further but uh about two and a half weeks ago almost three now I think uh, I was laid off due to COVID um but the experience itself was really great it was my first time as a full-time developer outside doing freelance projects for myself and other like my, my LLC and worked typically on a small team of developers at Indigo. We, we worked a lot with uh, designers and PMs and strategic folks and everything else that kind of comes into play, creative directors, all those sorts of roles that come into play at a marketing agency. Um, yeah, that's kind of, gosh, it's, it's hard to, it's funny to think about how long it's been. 
but time flies. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, hi, David. I want to welcome to the show again. Uh, but one question I have for you while you were working there, what kind of frameworks were you working with? Uh, were you doing mostly just front-end coding or did you have any say in the design of it as well? Or how, how did that relationship go? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we touched all across the board. So I used a lot of different frameworks to fit whatever whatever size whole problem we were looking at, we would reach for different frameworks. And sometimes we were also dealing in um, the sort of inheriting the code base from prior companies or just the company itself that we were working for. And so limiting, we were really like uh, using just a lot of the frameworks that are out there. So I've, I've touched uh, AngularJS, <laughs> uh, jQuery, vanilla JavaScript, React, and then Vue is actually the one that we started to use the most of. It's really, Vue is really good for building fast sites really quickly, like hitting the ground running, going from zero to 60 in a couple seconds. And I feel like React and a few of the other stuff that's out there is a little bit slower. And so Vue is kind of what we'd settled on in the last year or so. If we had a choice of what framework to go with, that's typically what we would use. So a lot of those sites that I had built recently were in view, but um, definitely not limited by that. It was a wide swath of everything, just whatever uh, happened to work in that situation. What was, there was a second part of your question, I think, right? Yes, but I have forgotten it now. But uh, regardless of that, with, with, the whole <laughs> view, with the whole view decision, oh, I remember the second part of the question. Nice. <laughs> For the designing of the site, did you have oh, any yeah. say in the actual design of the site ever? Like, could you, you know, do any amendments based on the code or was it, you know, the designer came to you, here's the designs and that's the end of your communication. Yeah, it was back and forth, a little bit of both actually. Sometimes there were sites that were more collaborative. We were working hand in hand with the designer. So I'd be going to their desk and saying, Hey, this is what I can build. This is what we can do here. Can you kind of tweak the design to work with that? Or here's what I think is going to be a better user experience for the end user. And this is going to work better on different size screens or those those sorts of questions we could raise to the designer and they would they would be able to change things. There was also other projects where it was more cut and dry, uh, kind of handing over the, the comps. Here you go, take it and run with it. There was even other sites where there was a lot looser control with design. Like there was um, various projects where we were actually ended up doing a lot of the design ourselves because there weren't any design hours. And so we had sort of the base components that we were using and um, going from there, kind of taking those base components and building off of them, keeping in line with the designs. And oftentimes we would build out a section in the code um, based on a certain element or certain uh, feature we wanted to build and run it by the designer because they didn't really have the hours to build out a design from, from scratch. Uh, so pretty much uh, all of it, <laughs> every, every way possible. <laughs> it's an agency. You kind of, you run, um, run around with your head cut off sometimes and trying to meet some crazy deadlines. And usually it's a roller coaster. So things are crazy busy and then you kind of hit a lull. So it's, it's just agency life's just a lot of everything. It, it kind of seemed like, which is See, good. it seems like you learned a lot though. And that's like counter it's counter to some agencies. Cause I know some agencies will work with one thing and one thing only, and they'll also pigeonhole their developers uh, is what I've heard. So they'll mm -hmm. get one guy that just does like only, you know, the contact page layouts and the backend code for the contact page. Like they're, they're literally a contact page designer and developer. Wow. 
yeah, I've heard about that. And then they'll only work with WordPress. So it's good that your agency was flexible like that because for you as a, mm-hmm. you know, junior developer at that, at that firm, you learned everything. So now yeah. while you're applying, like we can talk about your applying process in a little bit, but I'm sure, you know, once COVID kind of, you know, starts tapering off, it'll be easier for you to, you know, find a role in different kinds of companies because you have so much experience. You're also code agnostic, essentially like framework agnostic. You can choose any other, any framework. And that's something that you should be, you know, promoting on your resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely, I think it was a really good wholesome experience to be able to have that flexibility. We had good leadership where we had flexibility to choose and, and pick things that made more, they made the most sense for that particular problem we were trying to solve. And um, yeah, I do like that it wasn't specialized in a certain thing or specialized in a certain exact page that that definitely was a really useful and important thing. I think to look for, for most people out there, and unless you know exactly what you're looking for, um, which I'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, but like if you're in that beginning point, um, of your career or just of development in general, I think it is, it is good to touch as many things as you can and, and figure out what you like and what you don't like. And that will just make you able to think of outside the box a little bit easier and able to address problems, um, a little bit better, I think, than, than specializing. I, there was a Twitter post the other day I saw that someone had mentioned basically market yourself as if you're a generalist and then solve problems as if you're a specialist. It's something along those lines. I, I think it was like Adam Watham. Um, I always butcher his last name, the creator of Tailwind or someone, someone mm-hmm. that mentioned it. How was the, uh, how was the onboarding procedure during that though? Because you were saying it's an agency you're running around with your head cut off. If you, because I don't even know if Vue was really all that big or used at all um, at your workplace when you first started. So do they give you a spin-up period of a couple of weeks or they just go like, hey, we're going to build this project in Vue, go. Yeah, it was a, there's a spin-up period. Um, I think I, my memory is <laughs> so, so foggy that I, I feel like we talked a little bit about that in the last episode. And so I feel like I'm, if I'm going to say anything, it's going to be a misquote of the last time. But there's definitely a spin-up period. It was there was a strengths and weaknesses sort of assessment that we would, we would go through and we would start with projects. Granted the first project I did do was in react. And uh, that was the last project I did in react. <laughs> not, it wasn't the most scalable for those um, quick projects. I don't know if scalable is the right word there, but basically it wasn't the best for a quick project turnaround. And so um, quickly after that, that was kind of something that we turned away from, but um, yeah. Cool. So it's, it, it sounds like, it sounds like although although you're kind of in 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 the weeds, if you will, and like you're kind of on the front line there, at least they're giving you some sort of some sort of like buffer. Because I know that a lot of people would worry, and especially if it's like a brand new startup, that they wouldn't give you any time. It would just sort of be like, hey, you know, we got to do this in view. You guys have no spin up time. Go. And you're like, man, I don't even know. I don't even know how to initialize this thing. Like I, I haven't even done the hello world of this thing. And it's like, well, you know, go ahead, bud. It's like, All right. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have that. There was a little bit of a onboarding period and uh, onboarding period in general for the company and then onboarding for each project. And because it's an agency, there's that roller coaster of super busy with a project to meet that crazy deadline and then kind of an off period. And those off periods, a lot of times we were doing strategic research and thinking through ideas that were for projects that were coming through the pipeline. So there was um, there's one research period where I was learning React Native, for example. There's another research period where I was um, digging into uh, WebGL and 
um, sort of VR stuff and 3D on the web and those sorts of crazy things. And so the nice part about being an agency and having that sort of pulse of projects coming in, out, in, out, um, and then that gives you a little bit more time between things to think about what you're using next and how to solve the incoming projects that are that are um, coming up on your to-do list. How do you like? Oh, sorry, Mike. But uh, how do you how do you combat the? Uh, so we have a, we have a, a, a or I have a, mi- a miniature problem as, as I've referred to it several times uh, with Mike is I've sort of had to when we're small business so I have to we all wear all the hats and I've kind of transitioned from the UI guy to I still do that but I do a lot of business administration I have to like delegate a bunch of stuff to contractors and, and those type of things. Uh, and put together projects and project management. So that's sort of been my role for the past six months. And now I'm starting to so almost get imposter syndrome sometimes because I go back to using whatever, just let's just say CSS. And I'm like, I don't remember these properties, you know, and I, I can't remember this anymore. And so you're saying you're bouncing around so much. Like, how do you sort of combat that type of feeling? Or how do you combat that type of thing? Like, or is that just natural where you're just like, yeah, I'm going to forget stuff. I'm going to not remember things. And I'm just going to have to go back and warm back up basically. Yeah, I think some of it is natural and some of it, there definitely is an imposter syndrome when you feel like you, you're you not like really great at anything. And I still kind of feel that way sometimes. Um, I think self-confidence is something that's really important for developers, but it's also something that's really hard to get unless you've been doing it forever and ever. And with web development, like everything's always changing. So even if you were a master of CSS a year ago, things are going to be quite a bit different in the next year or two. And so I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that is hard. I, I would agree that it is tricky to look at back, look back at something. I think there's times in the code base when I look back at different projects and try and think through, like, oh, what was, what was, what were we doing here? What was, what is the CSS doing? What is this, what is this jQuery stuff? But a lot of it is just googling at the end of the day and looking up stuff. And I think that's that's like one of the most important skills for developers to look at a problem and and recognize if if you don't know how to solve it figuring out how to look for the answers, how to research for it. Like that's pretty, pretty crucial. I think. What's the difference do you think in terms of, so if you, if you're say, let's say super experienced in front end development, but specifically with react, if we if you take that for an example, um, people might be hesitant to apply to any other job, but any other job, but react, let's say, um, would you say that that's an incorrect approach to applying applying in the job market? Or do you think, you know, like, let's say the job is 50% view and 50% react. Let's say that's the job posting. They might be hesitant and go like, whoa, like I could learn view, but I don't know if I should be applying to this. Or like, I feel like even myself now, I've even told Mike, if this all goes to hell, I'm probably just going to go back to IT because IT is Mm -hmm. second nature to me. Oh, this is this, this is the input. Oh, I think that's the problem. And I just, it's just second nature to me to, to do that. Whereas because I'm bouncing around so much, nothing is super second nature to me other than maybe CSS because mm-hmm. I use it so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky. <laughs> like, shoot, I had a really good answer formed. <laughs> And then I lost it. Well, it's so, a complex. Yeah. It's a complex topic, right? It's 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 yeah. one. It's one that where some people would just say, just apply to it because it could be HR, 
just putting in some keywords, which is absolutely true and absolutely possible. Yeah, because if definitely. the person, if, if it asks for, you know, and often, oftentimes it'll say three year with, in this case, three year react with react and three years with view or something. Let's just hypothetically which say is like impossible, which but, is impossible with you, but like, yeah. let's hypothetically say it's down the road and that is possible. And so you're like, Whoa, you know, I don't have three years with you, but I have six years with react. Does that, does that, you know, does that equate? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think people should say it's so hard to say. I feel like those job descriptions are never written by the hiring manager, and I think people should apply to whatever they think would be a good fit for them, regardless of the framework. If you know one good framework, and you're open to learning other ones or open to even using other ones, apply to whatever um, is out there. I, frameworks are so there's such like a box that people stick other people in, sort of, when it comes to like hiring and stuff, and I don't think that. Uh, I'll talk more about like my, what I've been doing in terms of job searching later, but like specifically, I really like Vue and I honestly haven't even looked at React jobs, even though it's 99% of jobs that are out there because not that I couldn't do React, it's just that I prefer not to. And so maybe I'll be desperate in a couple months and I'll start applying to those React positions. But I, I think, so I think for people, if you're looking for any kind of position just to get into front end development or just to progress your career or work at whatever company you want to, uh, I would, I would say don't avoid applying to a position based on a framework because most of the times unless you have an in at that company and you can ask someone that works there what they're using i feel like most of those job descriptions are either copy paste or they're just kind of throwing stuff in there i've done a lot of searching through ones recently and even typically the the position almost i mean a lot of positions will just say uh, experience with a modern javascript framework like react angular or Vue, and it, it doesn't necessarily call out one specific one. It's more of using those in an example, just so that they look that the candidate knows or that they know that they're looking for someone that has experience with a modern spa or with state and all those sorts of like routers and um, client side and just like those things that come into play with more than um, that that are used in like a modern JS framework. <clears throat> I think with uh, with that conversation, like the whole point of that initial, you know, resume, the cover letter is just to get the interview. And in the interview, that's where you can be kind of honest with everything, the cover letter and res and resume. You can, I wouldn't say like, you don't lie on it, but put the keywords that are correct on there if you want that job. And then in the, in the interview, when they ask you like, you know, what have you done in react? You can be like, well, I'm, I'm a view developer for the most part, but I have, you know, played around with react. Um, and the other thing is that uh, for you, David, if you're applying for a React job, uh, you can always get into that interview and be like, you know, when it's your turn to ask questions, hey, how would you feel about going to Vue at some point in the future? And you can be part of that, you know, the migration process in, in a company if they're open to that. Because like you experienced, a lot of companies are more framework and platform agnostic, but their hiring managers don't know anything and they're, they just know what they're currently using. So I don't know, it, in, in my opinion, when, especially when you're just applying there's no, nothing wrong with applying for React jobs, applying for Vue jobs, applying for Angular jobs, whatever out there, unless you're sure that that company is set in their ways, like if you have an in, like you were saying, uh, mm -hmm. then just apply and in the interview when you get there. Uh, it's kind of a double-pronged thing where first you get more experience interviewing and second you can get you know more, uh, more information for that company. You have a good question to ask in the interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, David, just one question for you. Uh, when you were at the age, when you're at the agency, 
did you, did you have to manage multiple projects? And while managing multiple projects, how did you kind of context switch? Like how did you switch from project to project? That's something I'm having trouble with sometimes where I spin up on one project, you know, get all my development, development environments ready. And I spend a few hours and then I have to switch to another one. And my head just doesn't, it just doesn't switch sometimes where like I, I lose like a good hour, hour and a half before I can start working on that site, like the other project that I need to work on. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest challenges um, for being on multiple projects is getting into that deep work mode. Cause deep work, deep work is like scientifically the best way that you can be the most efficient with your brain's resources and spending those two to three hours, I think is around the minimum for it is, is pretty key. And, that, that's definitely really, that was pretty tricky about being on several projects. There was most of the time I was kind of siloed on one project and insulated from jumping on others. But there's a lot of times specifically with one of the clients where we had a lot of little tiny things we were building. And so um, I was jumping back and forth even, and <laughs> clients are great and they often send urgent requests every hour for certain things. <laughs> that necessarily might not be deemed as urgent in other people's eyes, but um, so to have to jump to those requests and then jump back to the code and jump over to this project and solve this issue, this issue. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I have a magic bullet to solve that problem, but it's hard. And um, I, I don't know, like right now, what I try and do is I try and block out time because I, I am really <laughs> really weird and I like to work on 300 different things and, and want to get a million things done each day uh, I have to set up specific periods of time I think uh dromo or something like that is what the term is out there that people use to block out half an hour segments definitely didn't say that right but <laughs> that's the idea I think is to set aside those times and so um I think setting up designated times might be helpful but it that's hard <laughs> yeah the only thing that I've ever found that works in, in, in that regard for me is I always have to do something small in the task switch. So if I'm doing task A, working normally, whatever, got to go over to task B, I have trouble getting into a complex piece of, text, of, of, of task B. So I have to do or accomplish a small piece. It doesn't even matter what it is. It could be something as simple as fixing the padding on a mobile version of something. But as long as I see it, see the result, then I'm like, okay, I kind of like I'm in the I'm in the zone now and then I can go into and tackle that the complex thing if uh, if I don't I think that's actually probably why I leave almost leave breadcrumbs I don't know whether you guys do this but throughout my project I kind of I always do like what I call like a draft pass and I just draft pass everything but I keep going back over and that's because whenever I task switch because I do that a lot it allows me to pick off a little task like oh I'll fix this I'll fix this I'll fix this the caveat is mm -hmm. that oftentimes little bugs and stuff get through the cracks but I also produce something that's usually a lot faster. Like it, the actual result is done and the glitches are oftentimes much more minor because I've made so many passes. So mm -hmm. that's just what that, that's, that seems to work for me. I've started to recognize the need for good documentation in my own projects. It just for even as something as simple as which node version I'm using for different projects um, because I'm switching between ones often and I use NVM to manage my node versions. And so like, am I using version 12 or 8 or 10? I can't remember which one works best with Gatsby. I think it's 10. And so even something as simple as node versions, I keep that in stored in the readme for projects. And it's been, it saves me at least, I'd say, probably 10, 20 minutes per project. Have you used, uh, have you tried 
using something like Trello or something like that, where I know that Trello is traditionally used for project management, but Mike and I actually use it to store all of our, all of our data for our project. Like if I need a, an episode link, I just go in there and it tells me like well, where all my episode links are. If I need, if I need my script or my copy paste for my YouTube description, I have all my copy paste right there. Something like that. Being, I wish I could share my screen um, with the audience, but uh, yeah, I've kind of maxed out Trello boards on the free tier. I'm <laughs> oh, a pretty big, pretty big fan. Um, I think I have probably over 40 or something like that. So yeah, I love using digital tools almost too much like that. And I actually recently started using Basecamp, the personal free tier well, for a lot of my projects, my freelance projects, as well as my Rainier Watch project, because it's, it's just more comprehensive than Trello and it has a lot of really cool little things. And I love their work philosophies and it really, their work philosophies um, that are more uh, kind of focused on having like a sustainable um, workflow and a sustainable source of truth for all the information rather than instantaneous little messages here and there like pinged in Slack, I think they've got the right philosophy when it comes to how to build something and how to manage a project. And so that's, that's my little, uh, <laughs> little spiel, I guess, for Basecamp, but that's what I've started to use more recently. I don't know about you, but I find the notifications actually a little off topic, but I find the notifications of, of work based work based chats to be particularly horrible. <laughs> like it's hard to find out, I know that Mike, so Mike and I use teams now it's just Mike and I on teams. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, although there's like boards and stuff like that in, in, in teams, whatever they're called on here. And I'll post to like our administration board and stuff like that for, I think it's literally in the, Oh yeah. So it's literally in the teams uh, like chat and I'll like message something in there. And like, oftentimes I'll get a notification for something like that, let's say. And I don't even know like where it is. Like it's very, it's almost like they were like, well, the professionals are using this, so we don't need to consumerize it. But it, it's also like, yeah, but this is a, a notification. I'd kind of like to access the message quickly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a dangerous rabbit hole that you opened up for me. I absolutely think that Teams is a pile of trash and uh -oh. we had to use it daily at my old company and it drove me nuts. The first day uh, that I was let go and was not using it and was back on Slack, it felt like a breath of fresh air. Like it Slack just seems like they actually had professional user X, like UX professionals looking at the software and testing it and like real users testing it. Teams just doesn't really seem like it's well thought out and it's kind of sad, but it's, it's what it is. And I, I just, it's personal, personal opinion. I find it pretty terrible in general when it comes to user experience. And I, the other, the other side note that, <laughs> I'm, I'm scared to bring up, but I'm really glad to be developing back on a Mac. And oh, here we go. Here we go. That's it. it. Two rabbit holes. Of... No, 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 no. Before we get down that rabbit hole, I want to go back to Teams. <laughs> Did you ever yeah. figure out notifications on Teams or is that was that a disaster for your entire company as well? Because I honestly am at a loss. Like notifications just don't work. Like they work sometimes and it's extremely erratic. I feel like I had notifications fairly consistently until the app would sort of freeze in the background. And then I would go missing notifications for an hour or two. And I would open it back up and see like 10 new messages from my boss typically. And it's like, Oh, thanks teams. The one person you're supposed to deliver messages from. So I don't, I don't know. If, Is that on yeah, Mac though? Was, like, I think we're, we're having, we're having trouble. Mike and I both use Android 
And uh, for whatever reason, I see the notifications come in. Now, people have reported problems with Samsung phones, so I'm using a Note 10 Plus, full disclosure. But I literally see the message come in. I get it on my watch as well, and then I see it swipe itself away. <laughs> yeah. Like it does the animation like as it if I swipe, swiped it away. And it I does. and I am not on my computer at the time. And I told it to display even though I wasn't even if I was on the computer. I've literally tried every <laughs> setting possible and nothing works. Like it it is one hundred percent broken to the tenth degree. Like I'll get your messages, Matt, but most of the time I'll get them a few hours late because it sends me an email notification two hours. <laughs> oh my god. A notification. It's about two yeah. hours. I didn't I didn't use it on my phone, but I was just on my Windows Surface laptop thing. But I, yeah, like, I can't really speak to that exact okay. experience, but I, it does not surprise me at all. You guys should <laughs> definitely switch. Just because just it's free doesn't mean it's good. Oh, it's not free. Don't worry about that. Oh, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, on the, we're on the Microsoft like train. Like we have the full, I have every one of their subscriptions. So <laughs> is that everything. a tunnel you're going down that is about to crash? Okay. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, the thing, okay. I also oh, find that the oh Slack no. notifications are, I, I miss the Slack notifications all the damn time. I don't know what it was. I haven't used Slack in a while now, but I know that we were in another Slack chat and like, I haven't, I, I probably checked that chat at some point, but I haven't checked that for a chat in a while. And to be totally blunt, I kept missing notifications consistently from there. Now, I don't know whether it was my fault or what was going on. I didn't really do an investigation or like a check, but it was just like somebody would message me and then I would get it a week later and be like, what the hell? Yeah. It's gotten better. I think they've got like the unread section now, but I think in general, just IM for work communication is, is not the best. And I think it was sort of oversold to the tech world about, oh, Slack will replace email. And yeah, email is not that great either because there's no visibility beyond the people that are on the actual email. Um, so I'm on the base camp train. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I mentioned that already, uh, but it's almost uh, like we yeah. have to go back to Link or something like that. Basically, like MSN for work, where it was just literally like you have your your work email, and then Link is like your i your IM, and it's literally just like MSN <laughs> Messenger or Windows Live Messenger, and that's it. And it's that simple. There's no special. This is for work, you know. This is it's just like yeah, message your yeah. work your work people, <laughs> like that that just that simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask you then, uh, before we jump down that Windows rabbit hole, actually, um, we can how... avoid that. Let's... <laughs> that might, might be a good one to avoid. Otherwise, we're going to be here for about two hours, yeah, we're gonna be two, two, three hours just on yeah. that part. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Windows is superior. But anyway, um, how <laughs> how do you think because you mentioned COVID in your layoff? So how do you think that COVID is it is affecting this industry from your experience, of course? Mm hmm. I, I don't know. I, I feel like industry-wise, COVID hasn't really affected the tech world as far as developer jobs as much as a lot of other industries. So I think we're fairly insulated as developers. Like, obviously, my anecdote is I was laid off due to COVID. But I think for most companies out there, I don't know if that really, like, there's definitely some layoffs that are happening. But I feel like compared to the restaurant business or something like that, where actual businesses are, are collapsing and going bankrupt or sort of... Um, yeah, just all the other industries that are out there. I think that us being developers, we're, we're in a really good spot. Like it's a pretty good career. There's a lot of flexibility. Every single company almost needs developers and needs technology. And that's only going to get 
it's only going to increase as time goes. And so even in my job search, like we'll get into that and that sort of when you ask me that when you ask me that question, but um, I, I don't feel like it's been hard to find a job or anything like that. I think that there's there's a lot of opportunity out there, especially if you do your homework and you do your research and you do your all of the, the check boxes that you're supposed to go through. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that COVID's definitely affected a lot of industries, but I feel fairly fortunate that tech is pretty well off and also the probably the hidden benefit to COVID happening and forcing everyone to work from home is now companies are super open to work from home, even if it's just for the near future and that our jobs are super easy to do work from home. Like being a developer, get an extra monitor, get a Mac computer and you're good to go. A Mac, a Mac, a Mac loaded with uh, Windows it. 10, you mean, I think. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're, you're right. You're right on there, though. Um, a lot of a lot of older, especially older agencies would be totally against work from, working from home. But I'm a, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of sometimes, you know, sometimes you're busy in the morning or something and then you just need to like you'd, you'd work better at two in the morning. And so as long as you're getting your work done, I know that some work from home places, they still require you to check in, clock in or whatever, nine to five. And move your mouse around. Or yeah, or move your mouse around. Um, or some places are monitoring their employees. But at the same time, I feel, I feel though, I feel as if sometimes I just not, not feeling a project, not feeling it, but I need it done. So I'll just work on it at two in the morning. Like it doesn't bother me at all. The client's not going to check their email to nine in the morning. Anyway, if I send them an email at seven in the morning, they go to bed at 7am. Who cares? If I pulled a night shift that night, who cares? Like, that's just the way I see it uh, myself because I, I just work best whenever I feel like doing it. If, if, if that makes sense. I just like, I, you know, we're hitting the deadlines and we're doing all, all the rest of it. So to the client, it really doesn't mean anything to them short of uh, short of like scheduling meetings around that. Of course we have some of that, but that's just the way I personally see it. If I was forced to just do nine to five every day, I would be more so struggling to get, things done as quickly because I'd be like, oh, I'm on the same schedule. And then I would just end up doing almost like my default workload, if that makes sense. I wouldn't be motivated, but sometimes I'll just have an idea at two in the morning and be like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to finish this. Like, I, I just want to do the same one. I'm just going to finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find yourself, would you, would you, would you work for a company that would not offer work from home now? Do you think? <laughs> There's the question. Uh, it's a good question. I think not. I think that even, so even before COVID happened, I was working from home probably once or twice a week. And even before I was a developer, I was working once a week from home. Um, and I think specific to this area that I live in Seattle with a crazy amount of traffic that we have, it's just so nice to have that flexibility and it's so nice not to have a commute. And that's something that I've adjusted to quite a bit. And you just set up a home office like this. And as a developer, it's just, it's just super easy. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of supers, but yeah. <laughs> you know, what's crazy. Uh, and I heard this recently in the Palo Alto, uh, Silicon Valley area, it's normal to have a three and a half hour commute one way. Wow. That's like a wow. normal occurrence, three and a half hour commute one way. That is so much time of your life. If you like yeah, do seven hours, money, dang. Yeah, like, I don't well, care they would about, have, don't, they'd have to give you eight hour shifts because you wouldn't be able to sleep otherwise. Yeah. Like they have like a lot of offices have sleep pods and stuff. So I'm oh, sure good. people just take advantage. I mean, three and a half hours. That's, that's insane. Like I was, I was, um, the reason I know that is because I was 
listening to a lot of like YouTube videos and podcasts about people that have recently been laid off in that area or like started working from home as well. Uh, and they were like, Oh yeah, I started a job, you know, if, you know, a couple of years ago and I've been doing three and a half hour commute one way for about two years. So I'm pretty happy that I'm laid off. No shit. You're happy. You're like three and a half hour commute. <laughs> wow. One way. You got to do it twice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> twice. Like I can't, wow. I, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And then I kind of did my research and yeah, that's, that's kind of like a normal thing. Like it's not, I don't think that's average, but there is a significant portion of developers over there that are working like that. They're making, you know, 150 and up, but really, is it worth it? Like I'd I'd make 90 and not do the three and a half hour commute any day. (laughs) Yeah. Agree. Well, with that, even with that, even being said, I mean, it kind of goes into our next question too. With all that extra time, you could be doing a side hustle to to make up for that that money that you would have taken off your your salary there as well. Um, what a segue! What a segue! Eh? Um, <laughs> I thought it was going to be a little smoother, and then I had to add a couple of ums in there and just kind of like, kind of ruin it. But regardless, um, <laughs> I know that you've been working hard on your your side hustle before uh, before and after you've been laid off as well, David. So kind of take us through Rainier watch and like, how do, how do you balance the both of them? Especially now that you're, I assume you're on the, are you on the job hunt right now or what's your status there? Um, yes and no. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a big question. Basically I've got, um, so with regards to where I'm at right now, I am working part-time doing freelance work for uh, sort of a dev shop that's based out of Georgia. I got connected with this, awesome guy named Braden who runs the shop and through Twitter randomly. And I've found actually dev Twitter to be super helpful. And that's actually how I landed a few different, I've also been doing some design freelance work. So I got a freelance gig through that, uh, through Twitter as well, just making connections. Um, I've got an interview coming up at one of my dream companies through Twitter. And so I like pro tip, if you're looking for jobs in a specific niche of development like i love tailwind css and i love view and other tools like statimic and they're all sort of in this sort of laravel typey world of development um i was looking around just searching twitter for people that were hiring and one of the people had mentioned a position open months ago and so i said hey where are you still looking for someone with this skill set this is my experience this is my portfolio site uh, i'd love to chat further and that's how i landed the gig with Braden and that's been really awesome. Um, so yeah, I'm doing part-time freelance work. I'm trying to balance doing freelance work as well as working on my own things, as well as collecting unemployment. So I'm working kind of part-time doing that freelance development and then working on Rainier Watch, which is the side hustle. And it's, it's hard to balance everything. That's one of my biggest weaknesses, I think, is I want to do everything and I want to do everything 110%. And so it's hard for me to balance life on top of that. And like my wife and I are getting a puppy next month and that's going to be a significant time investment, super awesome and really fun. And I can't wait, but also I struggle with time management as it is right now with everything. It's going to be even harder than, um, and so with Rainier watch, it's been sort of a soul searching thing for me the last year. Or so there's points where I felt like I would push really hard and try and, see if it become a, could become a freelance job eventually. And uh, after pushing hard on it, I think that it's going to remain a hobby. And I don't think that it could be something that's full time, at least for many, many years. And I don't think I'm going to be willing to sacrifice and take on the stress to make it a free, a full time thing. 
And so honestly, like it might be something I pull back from almost entirely in the next couple of years, just because it is such a huge time commitment. And it really sucks too with COVID that actually, I feel like COVID has affected Rainier Watch more than it's affected my uh, day job, as funny as that is, even though I got laid off. <laughs> um, <laughs> like Rainier Watch is, I guess to explain it to anyone that doesn't know, which is probably most people, it's just this e-commerce a uh, company that I've built over the last couple of years it's focused on sharing a love for Mount Rainier, which is a local landmark in the Pacific Northwest where I live. And there's days where you can see the mountain from hundreds of miles away and it's the coolest thing ever. And so basically I built this brand around the idea of asking is the mountain out and sharing. So a lot of people will tag Rainier Watch on social media. There's an Instagram account with photos that uh, photographers take pictures of Mount Rainier and tag Rainier Watch in them. And so I share a lot of those photos on Instagram as well as product shots and everything that comes along with running an e-commerce brand. Uh, and so having no in-person um, markets and sort of farmers markets and pop-up shops, that sort of thing over the last couple months has led to a significant cut in revenue. Honestly, sales have been a little bit better than I was expecting having basically, if you look at like the sales percentage, you'd see a huge chunk from the in-person markets in January and February and that amount, the gross sales from online only was small in that Q1 time period, but it's grown a lot, which has been pretty cool. Like it's still lower than I would like target wise, but also it's higher than it was before COVID. And so I feel very supported by the, my customers and the audience that's out there. And that's been pretty cool to have that not completely flounder because I know that I've seen a lot of posts and a lot of uh, other small businesses owners who depend on their their small business as their source of income to pay their mortgage or their rent and I can't imagine the the troubles that they're in in the last few months and I feel pretty glad that I'm not that Rainier Watch is just a side hustle it's just something I do as a hobby to to kind of learn as much about design and as much about small business and development and marketing and pretty much all the million trillion things that go into running a small business it's more of just like a creative outlet for for all of that um so balancing everything <laughs> pretty tricky but uh it's it's kind of like just spinning a bunch of plates and trying to catch as many before they fall and i think i might start taking plates off of the off of the spinning thing that they're spinning on what a great <laughs> metaphor totally how much has that. how much has rainier watch helped you like with finding your Tight, like other work, your dev work that you were just talking about mm -hmm. during That's the interview question. process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely hasn't helped directly with development, but I think it definitely has helped with lending a holistic picture of what I care for and what qualities I possess. So like a lot of companies do look for the quote unquote entrepreneurial mindset. And uh, I think I can speak to that directly. And for example, one of my dream companies in my top three is REI, which is a huge outdoor retailer uh, that's based in the Seattle area, based here. They unfortunately are in a hiring freeze, I believe, I've heard from my contacts, as well as had to lay off a ton of their corporate headquarters because of COVID that happened a month or two ago. Um, and so they they use Vue.js. And when I found that out, they quickly catapulted to the top of my list. And um, so for them, the Rainier Watch would be like, absolutely vital to and i have put it in my cover letter for my applications and i think that they would see that as a really cool asset i think a lot of the other businesses um 
won't like a Microsoft, for example, or an Amazon, I don't think they necessarily care that much about it. And I think I could do a lot better to properly convey all of the details that go into it rather than just like, oh, it's just this random Instagram account that's got like 30,000 followers or whatever. Um, I, I don't think I've really spelled that out well enough on the resume, but I think, and I think it's actually pretty helpful though for a lot of the smaller kind of startup-y type companies that I find myself more um, interested in and more geared towards in terms of my skill sets, because that's, that's one of them is kind of being in tune with the startup world and and knowing how to be pretty agile and wear different hats. Um, that's something I can speak to experience wise with Rainier Watch. And that's, it's, that's, I'd rather work for a small, cool startup doing cool things than working at Microsoft working <laughs> on their team's um, application, now. which, which I actually, this is a real, real situation. I did come across the job posting for that recently. Oh, there you go. You could have <laughs> fixed teams. it. You could have fixed it. I could have fixed it. It could have yeah, been the one. Teams. Just just sit and down at the interview and be like notifications, notifications Progress on all devices, downloads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that drove me crazy. Yeah. Like, is this massive file download yet? Oh no, no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> just spinning. One of the uh, so one of the questions I was going to ask you from that is, and this is so Mike and I always have back and forth on this. And for so like obviously HTML, the things at this point is is more of our side hustle, and so I, I guess it's, I guess I have a two parter question. So the first part would be more more of a general question. Do you think that short of viral side hustles, do you think that side hustles in general are viable full full time wage replacements, or do you think that do you think that it's more so just that just a side hustle and just like a side thing? Um, obviously there's going to be some variance in markets and stuff like that and how viral things go. But do you think, for example, if you use your case, Rainier watch, do you think that it's more of a, do you think that it's more of like a, a, an effort problem? Like you were saying, it takes, you're going to have to put more hours in it. Or do you think that there's just not enough people for Rainier and that type of thing? Um, and then I guess the, I, actually I'll let you tackle that before we, before I tack on mm -hmm. more, I think. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Giving me like a 17 part question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, side hustles are, are tricky. Like it's such an open-ended world and I feel like there's so many different variables that go into it. There's things like capital. How much do you start with? Are you doing, are you going bootstrap? Are you going to angel investors? Are you in a specific market that might be viable? Are you what, like what industry are you in or what are you catering to? I think there's a lot of side hustles that could definitely turn into full-time jobs and full-time careers. And I know that, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that there's a lot out there that have done that, but there's even more that have failed, of course. And that's, it's about finding the right fit. And I think with Rainier Watch, it's pretty awesome. And it's, <laughs> wow, so humble. Uh, it's, it's a pretty cool brand. And it's a pretty cool product. I don't know if there's, I don't know if it's viable or broad-based like, I don't know if it appeals broadly enough to a wide enough audience where it could have enough sales to pay me an income. I've never taken a cent from it and cover expenses. And so maybe the thing is like, maybe if I dumped a couple thousand into Facebook ads or social media ads, cause that's honestly like one of the best ways to grow an e-commerce company. Um, and if I did that and spent maybe I took a couple months off and spent time working on all of the other facets of e-commerce, 
then maybe it could get to that point. But uh, being that I have other priorities now in life, I think that that's not something that I can dig fully into. And like maybe if I was single and didn't care about anything else or wanted to kind of rabbit hole away for six months and really dig deep on a certain side hustle like that and really grind, um, I could probably, it could probably work, but really it's all about the audience and it's all about the customers and it's all about figuring out that fit. Like you could have the coolest thing and it could just, there just could not be a market or you could just be not be hitting the market. Right. Um, so basically to answer the question is the answer is it depends on a lot of things. Well, that, that was a good breakdown because those are sort of similar. I mean, we're not doing something specifically like in your watch, but it's still the areas are common enough across all the different side hustles that you covered, you know, where do you want the time sink or do you have other priorities, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, I mean, that was a good like breakdown and that actually leads like really well into the second part of the question, which is, so Mike and I obviously HTML, the things or hat as we call it is sort of our side hustle at the moment. Our web agency part is, is our main income source, of course. And so there's been several times where I'm like, we could just, we could really blow the lid off of hat. I think if we just put a lot more time into it and a lot more, we get a lot more content out there. And one of the ways that we want to sort of min max our output onto hat is to automate a lot of things. Mm-hmm. What, however, you know, we're using social media bots or whatever it is, you know, those are always the first things that come to mind. But one of our, one of our issues actually, I think is the focus issue. So for a while we were focusing on, okay, we got to, we got to nail the Instagram algorithm. We got to do like this many posts, this many, this many posts of this type with this many hashtags. And we got to like repost them and whatever else it was at the time we got to do, we got to hit that. Then it's sort of like, Oh, Instagram doesn't seem to be giving us too much. Okay. Well, the podcast is taking off. Okay. Well, let's promote the podcast over here. Oh, actually Facebook is taking off. Okay. Let's go over Facebook, buy some, you know, boost some posts here, get some Facebook ads going now we get some more followers. Oh, let's go back over here actually to Twitter because people are saying that Twitter is the best place to be. And even though you have less followers on Twitter, usually now you're on Twitter. And then, and then it's like, wait a second, what's our product? Well, it's the podcast, but people say that podcasts, you know, if they're not massive like Joe Rogan. They're not going to make any money. So it's like, oh, okay, well, if, you know, if that's the case. And I mean, that's a general statement, but it's like, if that's the case, then we'll still do the podcast, of course, because that's going to drive people to e-commerce. But then what are we going to be selling? And then it, it, you know, you're in this constant, like, do I master Facebook, Twitter? Do I master Instagram? Do I leave the whole thing alone and just do the podcast? Do I, do I build out? Cause we're going to build out a new website that we have an idea for, but it's like, that's been delayed several times. We have a Patreon, but that was delayed due to COVID. Cause I don't want to be shipping people things to be totally blunt. So that's just, you know, until that that's over, sorry, but that's just the way it is. So now it's like, you know, all over the place, mm-hmm. where do mm-hmm. I go? Yeah. That's small business world. Yeah, it's a hustle world. It is very much like spinning your head around in a tornado and trying to figure out and throwing darts while you're doing that and trying to figure out what board you're trying to hit. Um, I think that one of the best things that people can do to grow an audience is release quality content. And um, that's something where I've tried to blog a little bit more because I feel like some of the stuff that I've experienced might be interesting to other people. And I hope that they read through my experiences and they learn more um, and just help. Like, I hope that by writing those blog posts, it will help other people. And I think that's more than mastering social media or marketing or email marketing. there's all these different rabbit holes you can go down. And there's a lot of rabbit holes that I've tried to go down a little bit, like kind of like you have. And um, sometimes I hit a wall and sometimes I say, I just hate this and I don't want to do it. I think that's, what's nice about it being a side hustle is I think and that's something I've shifted my focus a little bit with Rainier Watches. 
I want to focus on the things that I enjoy doing. It's a hobby. It's a side hustle. It should just be fun at the end of the day. And it should be something that I, I haven't designed new apparel for a while. And I've got so over-focused on building the brand, growing gross sales and all those sorts of things that it's like, I just want to get back to making some sweet shirts or some sweet hats because that's, that's my bread and butter. And that's what I enjoy doing the most. Um, also, I have realized that uh, outsourcing, yeah, like with a small business, you can try and do everything yourself. But I think outsourcing is fine and hiring a specialist. Like I've got someone that does my bookkeeping now and that's great. And I don't have to deal with that anymore. And it gives me nice peace of mind not to have to manage the numbers every month and prepare the tax documents once a year for the tax accountant. I have a CPA now <laughs> um, and all these sorts of things where it's like, I hate some things and those things because it doesn't really give me joy, I should give it to other people. And yeah, it's going to cost me money. And the side hustle, Rainier Watches doesn't really have a lot of money in the bank. But um, it's all about, I think, it's not all about, but I would say that a lot of value can be derived from something without having it blow up or without having it um, directly like pay you kind of thing. Like your, your podcast is awesome and you've affected, if you think about it, how many developers or people follow you and have listened to everything you said, like that's, that's pretty cool to think about the value that you're giving people and the value that those items and that information that they're gleaning from this is like, it's pretty cool just to kind of think about your effect on humanity, I guess. I'm getting super meta, <laughs> but yeah. I suppose that's, I suppose that's really true in terms of, we're spending maybe a bit too much time looking outward into, you know, what, what, what should we get into? Should we, should we be big on Twitter? Like, should I drop the Instagram? Do I go big on Instagram? You know, just like I said earlier, whereas we don't look inward enough where it's like, wow, look at all these followers we have. We have people DMing us, people messaging us, people want to be on the show and stuff. And you know, that's really cool. That's something that wouldn't have happened without the podcast and its consistency and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then it's mm -hmm. almost like I could maybe derive a plan from that, but realistically it's more like, Instead of me just looking out to expand, I should look in for the reward a bit. And then I can, I mean, obviously it's a business. It's going to expand and it's going to monetize and it's going to do whatever, you know, whatever businesses do. But it's still, it's still like you need to derive those, those pieces of good, like you're saying, where mm -hmm. you like something. And so you do it. Mike and I don't do our accounting. Uh, did it for two years. I almost literally had a heart attack. So, I mean, I shouldn't say yeah. literally, but I was sweating pretty bad. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. so don't, don't, so yeah, but like, Regardless of which, um, you're right. It's like Mike and I get enjoyment out of the podcast. So we should be looking at maybe, hey, wh what else do we enjoy about this? Let's look at something else that we enjoy about this and then build off of that rather than being like, hey, I don't like, I mean, I mean I'm impartial to posting on Facebook, but let's just say I don't like posting on Facebook. Let's get big on Facebook because that's the big thing. Then I, now mm -hmm. I like resent my side hustle and I'm like, I gotta post on Facebook yeah. again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And there was a part with Rainier Watch, for example, where I was, I was so focused on growing the Instagram account that I was forcing myself to uh, post two to three times a day sometimes. And it was like interrupting my life and interrupting dinner with my wife to do that. And it's just kind of like, at the end of the day, it's not worth it. And I think it's all about priorities. And I think what is good is you can take a look at things and try not do everything and try and do a few things well. Um, and that's, it's just kind of being a little bit more strategic and cause it is with social media and the internet and everything nowadays running a small business, there's just a million shiny things out there that you want to go grab and hold on to. Sometimes I get obsessed with finding 
the latest tools I should be using to help me with my side hustles or whatnot. But um, that's, it's just, it's dangerous and time is a commodity. And I think we should focus on spending our time in giving ourselves enjoyment and giving value to others. I think that's a perfect uh, segue actually into the next little thing here, which is the long-term goals. Like what are your long-term goals now that, you know, you've been laid off from your first job, got a lot of experience. You have a bunch of side hustles. It seems now not only Rainier watch, but you have your uh, contract work and stuff like that. What's the next step? Yeah. um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Short term. I think I want to work. So to back up a step, like when I got laid off, I dove deep on looking for new roles and sort of um, basically was like, all right, I'm going to go find a new job and I'm going to go after it 110% because that's what I do and I'm crazy. And I regret that a little bit. And I actually pulled back quite a bit and um, have just kind of been like, all right, what makes most sense for me? And so right now, my short-term goals are to get employed as a full-time front-end developer at um, one of my like top five kind of target companies. And these are generally smaller companies that are doing good things and helping people, but also building really cool products and um, even building other things. And they're using tools that I really enjoy like Tailwind and Vue. And so I think I have a lot more to learn and a lot more to learn from other people that know a lot more than I do. And that's where I don't think, because for a while I toyed with uh, going full-time freelance or working for a company, like immediately after I got laid off, that was the conundrum that was going through my head, the debate. And so I think at this point I'm leaning towards finding a full-time employment where uh, I can have a, a lot of impacts and I can learn a lot. Um, that's kind of my short-term goal in the next couple of years. That's where I want to be. Long-term, I, I because I touch so many different things and I, I'm not like a super specialized developer, I feel like I have all these different skill sets and all these different interests. I don't think that developer is my long-term goal. I I don't really know what would be my title per se, but I kind of would love to run my own company or be a part of running a small company, um, being able to wear those different hats that I like doing and touching different facets of the business. That's that's probably where my long-term vision is, but I, I don't think that's Rainier Watch. I don't think that's my small development shop, Lindell Studios. It's probably like a small SaaS or a small product-based company. Um, like a CTO but, position, yeah. essentially. Yeah, probably. Um, that sounds so, <laughs> so like fancy. <laughs> but it, do, it does, but the CTO is like, and it has, it wears so many hats, right? Like it's a CTO mm-hmm. could be a very experienced developer that does a lot of the development of a company, or it could be someone that's more hands-off and manages the, you know, client relationships with the developers and for mm-hmm. like, you know, prioritizes the development project management. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a, that's what I've been kind of thinking about as well is uh, as I've g- gained experience and as I have mentorship and stuff like that, I think that's where I would want to be too, you know, five, 10 years down the line is somewhere as a CTO at a company like the HTML, the things or whatever else we kind of go into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's definitely, Mike and I have definitely had a couple conversations on, on overall, on overall uh, direction because we've been bouncing around, like I said, with the Facebook thing, but even more mm-hmm. than that with the web agency stuff, mm-hmm. do we do, do we go hard into passive, you know, p- passive income where, 
you're getting a little bit from each customer per month, but you're getting it constantly and without any or, you know, not a lot of work, for example, or do you go hard into the more stressful, but Hey, here's five grand or whatever it is to build out Mm -hmm. this page or build out this site, those type of things. You know, what, what do we want to go hard into? Mm -hmm. You know what? I, I almost equate it to struggling to choose what to do when you go to school, like, mm-hmm. wherever college university even choosing your courses in high school can be a component if your high school offers that mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't know it's just like hey what do you want to do for the rest of your life uh <laughs> oh uh i don't i don't know <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> the development world is just so broad now and so there's so many facets of it that it is hard. Like it, I think, I think this is a common problem that many people have. And Matt, you, we, you and I should probably do an episode just on this topic, like all the different streams of development, mm-hmm. right? There's so many things that you could do as a developer. Once you have your footing and you have your base and you have, you know, your, your initial experience, uh, whether that be with a company or your own side hustle, whatever, once you have that, there's, limitless opportunities to go into different directions at this point. And like you were saying earlier, David, the industry is only becoming more and more relevant Uh, with all these companies now with COVID on on the mind, everyone's kind of going, how do we go hands off? Like how do we uh, physical business become less physical and more SaaS? That's what every small business right now is thinking every single small business, every single corporation, how do we go from, you know, having, you know, all these storefronts to, cutting down the storefronts and trying to get customers to buy from us online or from whatever other digital means possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I was wondering almost too is, and, and I'm sure David, you've, you've experienced these type of DMS and stuff like that from, from these business experts or so-called business experts online. And the reason why I only reason why I call them so-called business experts or marketing experts is because I just don't know who they are. But I get like a lot of DMs and emails and stuff like that where, you know, some of them you can tell are scams, like a whole bunch of typos in them and such. But other ones are well put together. They're po- maybe they have thousands of followers and stuff like that. Maybe they are legit, right? Uh, and I'm sure there's obviously legit ones out there. Do you think that that's almost something valuable to bring into a side hustle or just even your own company for guidance? to guide these sort of manic behaviors, the bouncing around all over the place? Do you think that that's required or do you think that that's just a money sink at that point? Yeah, I don't think it's required, but I think that it could be useful. Uh, I generally pretty much ignore all unsolicited emails and those sorts of things. Uh, If I were though in a position to look for something like that, I feel like I would reach out to my network and talk to people that I know to try and get a personal recommendation. And I've actually thought about that in the past. Uh, and I actually remember posting on LinkedIn saying, hey, I was looking for a small business consultant to help me with for an ear watch. <laughs> Someone was kind enough to message me a suggestion and I never followed up and now, now I'm remembering. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I mean, if I had the capital, I would probably go that route because I think that there's a lot of people that have done things in the past that they've got a ton of experience with running a small business and knowing how things work and they can take those experiences and mold them to the situation that they're in to help the, the small business. Uh, so I could see there being a good amount of value there, but I think you're right. It is kind of a treacherous waters to step into. And there's a lot of, um, I don't know if scams are the right word, but there's a lot of people that 
kind of take advantage of things out there. It's like the whole YouTube influencer, like, oh, look, I'm standing in front of a Porsche and I'll tell you how to make passive income and uh, here, click on all my affiliate links. And, oh, actually you watched this 10 minute video and you didn't get any, any information that was useful. I <laughs> I remember back when I first started Rainier Watch, I was doing drop shipping for apparel and <laughs> I watched a, a several of those different videos that were all about drop shipping and how you can make a gazillion dollars. And that was kind of when drop shipping was super huge three, four years ago. It was really hot and trendy. Right. And I remember watching several videos and it was just, I spent 10 minutes and you didn't give me any value from that. Like I didn't learn anything. And so uh, I think ever since then, I've been a little bit more cautious over those sorts of ideas. Do you think that, do you think that maybe, do you think that maybe these the the industry itself around business consultation has sort of self imploded almost like how I mean dropshipping hasn't imploded but dropshipping was a fad and then becoming this business expert or the marketing expert or wherever a million name innovator wherever they called themselves right it was a million and one titles they sort of that became the hot thing and then came the scammers right it's just like telephones come out here come the telemarketers, here come the scammers, you know, that's just sort of what happens. You think that maybe that industry has sort of ruined itself because I would, if, if I have a problem, you would think, oh, I'll call the expert. You know, if you have a problem with your electricity, you could call an electrician. If I have a problem with my business, I don't think I should call a business expert. You know, that's never, it's never that. It's I'm always just like, oh, I'm going to get into one of those, like you said, one of those weird webinars that are live but are constantly running so they're definitely not live those type of things you know (laughs) yeah i I think that market is oversaturated i would call it quite a bit um but i think there's still value there and if you find the right person they can they can probably help you out because you're right experts are who you call because they've been there they know i had a guy fixing our dishwasher this morning because i took it apart and couldn't figure out what was going on and he came in and looked at it so it's that's just kind of how i mean specialization right that's like post industrial revolution how humans operate for the most part is specialization yeah yeah for sure and and i and i mean it's probably worthwhile reaching out to even our network you're right like that then it's a then it's not just some dude that's unsolicited it's like hey who's who's talked to someone like this i need to talk to someone like that you know google review them <laughs> or something along those lines um but the next topic we want to cover and we've touched on it a bunch so i don't know if you want to add anything uh, else on it was was being laid off. So like, I don't know whether you want to touch on like what happened or if you want to touch on, you know, your your thoughts about it or if you like just the overall, like, you know, were you shocked by it or, you know, the whole bit? Yeah, that was that was quite the Wednesday morning. I'll tell you that um, it it kind of came out of the blue. I wasn't it wasn't like a total surprise, but it was a shock. Um, I wasn't expecting it. But I mean, it's COVID, so it's always kind of in the back of your mind in these times, but it was basically like a lot of, um, a lot of surprise happened that day. And I think on the other, and I actually blogged a lot about it. My immediate feelings were kind of a hot mess and you can read about it on my website, davidalindahl.com. Um, so I'll, I'll spare the nitty gritty of that slash give a little CTA to the <laughs> <laughs> the website little plug um but uh yeah basically 
Um, I took the rest of the day off after I'd been told I'd been let go due to lack of business from COVID and filed for unemployment that day, uh, which has been um, kind of a roller coaster because there was at one point where the unemployment office said I was getting retirement pay. And so I had an appeal for that. And then they sent me a, a email that was like, we're going to send you a letter to schedule your appeal, appeal hearing. I'm, I'm like 30 one i think <laughs> i'm not collecting <laughs> retirement come on i don't even know how old i am you can't yeah. you can't expect that uh so i haven't actually got paid by the unemployment yet but it's coming soon um even it's not full because i'm working part-time but that's that's actually pretty useful to have that safety net there and that's i think right now is the perfect time to get laid by laid off by COVID. i saw a lot of support from the community and just like other devs on twitter and that sort of thing like people are really helpful and I, a lot of people had messaged me from my old work on LinkedIn that said sorry and um, gave a lot of kind thoughts were shared with me and that that was really nice actually and I think now was a now it's kind of quote unquote the best time to get laid off it's never fun to get laid off it's it's never a great experience but I think there's a lot of camaraderie and a lot of support that humans are giving other humans um, with COVID laying off a lot of people and so that was kind of it worked out a little bit I guess and I felt pretty pretty fortunate to have so many people um saying I'm sorry and uh so I started like I was kind of referencing earlier I started that job search um going 80 miles an hour and I opened up here's a big mistake no one should ever do I opened up my LinkedIn status to open to recruiters oh yeah and here we was go not not prepared for that oh my goodness I did that last time before I got hired at Indigo and you know I was getting a decent amount of messages here and there but this time it was just like the onslaught having that two years of experience is pretty huge and I was it 10 messages a day I don't even know basically I got so overwhelmed by all of that trying to manage it and reply and talk to people that about a week later I sort of had um it wasn't a mental breakdown but it was like I was really overwhelmed and really stressed and said, you know what? I'm stepping back from this job search. I'm going to look at these few companies that I really, really, really like and really want to work at. And um, at that point I had some of the freelance feelers out there and I was getting freelance opportunities. And so I said to myself and in a discussion with my wife, like, Hey, I'm going to step back from the job search. This is kind of crushing me. Something's going to work out and we'll go from there and i think it was a really good decision a really healthy decision what uh what's been really useful in my job search is to know kind of how i mentioned earlier know your specialty market as a generalist but know your specialty i've been specifically looking in this world of tailwind and um view and statomic and a few other uh things that i, I mentioned earlier that are kind of conglomerated that's eh, not the right word meshed together in a certain niche of development and putting feelers out there. And basically there's, there's a freelance community and there's a lot of other people in this world that have work that need work and are providing work. And so being marketing myself as sort of a tailwind developer, sort of a view developer has been really useful. And I've stuck to my guns of like, this is what I really like. And this is what I enjoy doing. I'm way more happy when I'm building a website in tailwind than not. And I've got a lot of work to do. I've from that I've, I've turned away projects i've turned away freelance work because i've got so much on my plate right now um and i'm also trying to not work 
40 hours a week. I'm trying to be a little bit more conscientious about that so I can spend some time on freelance projects that I haven't been able to spend time on before. And unemployment helps to help basically give me the space to do that and the freedom to do that. Um, so yeah, like unemployment, I, there was a couple of days where it was like, or being laid off. I mean, it was a couple of days where it was like, whew, punch in the gut. But now looking back and even within a week or two after it, I felt like it was, it sucks and it sucks to lose all of your income in one just meeting. <laughs> uh, but all in all, I feel very fortunate with where I'm at and the opportunities that I have. And I think I'm coming out on the other end, even more excited about the things I'm doing, the things I'm, the people I'm talking to and the things that I am able to build and the tools I'm able to use. Uh, and I, it's not for everyone. Like there's some, one of my friends got laid off recently and he was immediately jumping back on the horse and trying to find a next, his next full-time job. He's a senior front end developer. He knows react super, super well and freelance isn't his thing. And that's, that's totally fine for some people. Like they, that's just where they'd rather be is at a company. And so um, I'm like a self-starter. I'm very much able to like, I've <laughs> during unemployment, I've got up at 6am every day. I'm continuing to work out three days a week at 5.30, riding my bike for 10 miles. And so these things, and just being aggressive is, is not, it's pretty natural for me. And so I, I don't fall into the trap of like um, being lazy, I guess, when it comes to job searching or, or finding new opportunities. I'm, I'm, I'm out there and, oh gosh, for some reason, whenever I say I'm out there, I, I can hear uh, Kramer from Seinfeld in my mind go, I'm out there, Jerry, and I'm loving every minute of it. <laughs> uh, nice. But yeah. So uh, yeah, it was crazy to get laid off, but um, I think I'm in a pretty good spot where I'm at. If anyone needs a tailwind or view site freelance developer, let me know. Cool. But where can they find you? Uh, David A. Lindahl is my website and my username is this on Twitter. Those are the best places to contact me. Uh, also, you can find all the links to contact me on my website, but my username on Twitter is not very easy to say. It's mm -hmm. offstriker27, but I imagine I can give it to you guys and you'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for we'll sure. throw it in the show notes for sure. Just one one quick question about the the LinkedIn actually, uh, what was it specifically about all the recruiters contacting you that actually, you know, wore you down? There, it was just the volume, I think. And pretty much what I've, I've tailored my LinkedIn and I've tailored my requests and my responses to recruiters to be like, yes, I have experience in React and jQuery. I'm only looking for view positions that use view or Tailwind right now. Let me know if you come across one. So I've actually, what I've been doing is I've been accepting messages from them. If they, if I think there's an opportunity there that they might have something else and I'll say, I'll basically give them that message back or I'll say no and reject them altogether. And there's been a few actually where they've said, Oh, that's, that's really good to know. Thanks a lot. I'll let you know if I have something. There's another one that said, Oh, I've got something coming up in a couple of weeks. I'll let you know a, a view position coming up in a couple of weeks. And so I think it's don't even for me when I'm looking for a very specific role right now and this might change in the future but for me when i'm looking at for a very specific role i'm not i'm not shutting all of the doors it, it's kind of just like keeping them open a little bit i think that's important yeah keeping the opportunity literally at your door there allowing the allowing some to get in but then you know not not being afraid to close the door is probably a big anxiety helper you know 
Because before mm-hmm. you're just like, well, man, I got to sign up for all these recruitment sites and mm-hmm. fill in all this crap. And it's a whole it's a whole game at that point. Mm-hmm. Total game. <laughs> uh, but I think it's I think it's time for the old for the old web news. Um, and this one is entitled working for yourself from home. So uh, with so many people out of work these days, many will be looking for ways to make money online. And uh, based on the fact that you have your own side hustle, Rainier Watch, as we've touched on a few times here, how viable is it today for people to start their own online businesses? And second question, uh, do you think that uh, COVID is helping or hurting online side hustles? I think it is insanely easy to do the logistics of setting up a business for just getting a website, getting your product out there, collecting emails for your marketing list, whatever you want to do to build that small business takes like, you don't even have to know code. You can go to these website builders like card with two R's and whip up a sweet responsive website in 20 minutes. And that's not the hard part about running a business these days or starting a side hustle. I think the hardest part is finding a fit and finding customers and getting that fit to make sure that you're, like making sure you have a fit with customers and then getting that product or that thing in front of those customers. Those are the hardest things. And a lot of times it requires money um, or just being really, really smart and good at marketing. Uh, Those are the hardest things. I think that there's literally no barriers to entry in terms of starting a side hustle and um, going from there with a website. That's a good, that's a good like analysis for, for people, I, I would say, because I'm sure there's a lot of consumers in the audience there where they would think, uh, you know, they were laid off, they're an accountant or they're something unrelated, they're a mechanic or something, they're unrelated to tech. And then they get laid off and they're like, man, I need to make money. The only thing I have is online right now. And some of these physical places are not hiring because they are they are closed depending on your jurisdiction where you're at. And so it's really important to say, Hey, there are consumer tools out there like card, like all this other stuff where you don't need to hire a specialist like Mike or myself. You can just go and start here. And if you outgrow it, as some people would worry about, I mean, good outgrow it and then get a specialist involved. Don't be afraid to to rip up what you did, throw it in the garbage because you need something new. Right. Yeah. And it's like, so like, let's say you're an audio auto mechanic or whatever. There's, you could, Go outside, start filming videos about how to change the oil on your car. Go to over your friend's house, film a video while you're changing the oil, upload it to YouTube, start a channel that's all about car maintenance, or you could create like a ebook or something, hire a designer off Fiverr, or one of those sites to design an ebook based on the content you provide. A uh, cost, I don't know how much it costs, but then you could sell that ebook on Gumroad, um, which facilitates the purchase of e-commerce. Like when I first started my with Rainier Watch, it was on Gumroad and there's no cost. It's, they take like a percentage of sales, if I remember correctly, and it's really, really easy. And um, there's so many ways to digitize non-digital careers and in a sort of non-traditional way. And a lot of it is just basically teaching people. There's so much in the world today about teaching people and people want to learn. They're thirsty to learn. Uh, there's so much around DIY. <laughs> when I was trying to fix our sink a couple months ago, Oh my goodness. There was like a hundred different plumber videos on YouTube. And I think it was Dan, the plumber man or something was one of them. And he had his own like swag and merch. There was a store attached to his YouTube. 
I don't know who was buying Dan the Plumber Man shirts, but <laughs> I mean really? they must be they must be selling if if he has a bunch, right? <laughs> yeah, he's he's got it there, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone's buying them. Maybe it's his mom or his aunt or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I will um, say that there's yeah. I remember there, my, my one friend is just super into this one particular roofer. He just loves this mm. one roofer and like I've seen mm. because I hang out with him and he just watches hours of this guy just roofing by himself. It's just like okay. That's awesome. <laughs> Something for everyone out there. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, you don't need to be a professional, just record yourself doing something and and go from there. <laughs> yeah. Try try a bunch of different things. Uh with yeah. the second second part of this question, the do you think COVID is helping or hurting online side hustles? It's an interesting um it's an interesting question because it's definitely, you know, it's helping some and hurting a lot, a lot as well. But I noticed recently that the biggest thing that people are starting to do is, you know, sell masks, sell different kinds of PPE. And that's, you know, become a lot of people's side hustles. A lot of people's online businesses is, you know, sewing masks, selling them. So that's opportunistic. Like there's a lot of ways you can get out of a lot of ideas you can get out. I'm not really an idea guy. Um, I try to think of some ideas, but I'm just not that great. I'm more of like a person that you would hire to get your ideas made. Uh, but I definitely have been appreciating how many people are out there and trying to, you know, maybe not capitalize on the situation, but, you know, help in the situation. And in, in the case of people that are getting laid off, be able to provide for their family because of it. So yes, there's a ton of people that are getting hurt like their side houses are dead. Like a lot of people that had to do anything physical, like go to people's houses, uh, even like dog walkers, I can imagine being like stuff like that. That's definitely hurt. Uh, but people innovate, try new things. So it's kind of a split, you know, is, is COVID helping? Yes and no. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's, it's across the board. I can't say, I, I mean, I think that's right. It's like both, but probably, and I don't, for side hustles, I'd say it might even be helping more than hurting, but for small businesses that depend on in-person sales, I think COVID's destroying those. Yeah. And I think side hustles typically aren't that because you don't, you're not able to fund a brick and mortar shop if you have a side hustle. That's, that's a crazy amount of overhead. <clears throat> so those are, I think that would be the kind of the, the caveat with that it's helping side hustles more, but also it's probably hurting small businesses, but yeah, there's just, there's a lot of different things you can do out there. And it's, you're right. I think, I think it is pretty cool to see the creative ways that people are taking different things and, and going with them and seeing what works. And I think that it's just, it's, that's one of the fascinating things I think about side hustles and small businesses is, is finding that niche and finding something and then going from there and building it and seeing how it resonates with, customers and audiences and stuff. What do you think about the the sort of template for online businesses though? So I know you had mentioned, you know, go out there and make a YouTube video, do an ebook, do those type of things. Those are sort of on the, on the checklist, if you will. When, so when you look up online businesses, people, there'll be a guy that specializes in you getting your ebook online. There'll be a guy that specializes in doing all of that, getting the videos online. There'll be a guy that just focuses on helping you get video. There'll be, a, there'll be a business that just offers editors, you know, those type of things, the, the support network, if you will, for influencers. What do you think of that sort of, that sort of template for online businesses these days? Like whenever I see personally, and maybe this is just because we sort of live online, but whenever I see 
someone's like, Hey, I got an ebook. I'm like, Oh, of course you do. You know, sign up for my newsletter. Get my ebook. You sign up for my newsletter, like one of those things. And that's something we really struggle with. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think that the traditional sort of online business template is getting worn out or do you think that's really the only way, at least that we know so far of how to get a business up and running online? Yeah, that's, that's tough. I think it's probably worn out, but I don't know that much of a better way, but if someone is creative enough to think of a different alternative way, definitely go for it because you're right. I think there's a lot of saturation because it's the internet and people are turning to it and coming up with these ideas and everyone wants to start a YouTube channel. So <laughs> while I said all those things earlier, it's a lot of those things are kind of saturated and kind of worn out at this point. Um, everyone wants to download, everyone has those pop-ups to let you, to make you subscribe to their newsletter and download their ebook. And um, that's something I've avoided with Rainier watch having like a obnoxious pop-up. And um, it's, I think, the best way to differentiate yourself at the end of the day is just providing value. And that's, that is, it's not easy. It's really hard, but luckily in the world we live in, you can look up and research everything you want. There's always the trade off of researching it and doing yourself or paying someone. And you just kind of have to decide at the end of the day where you want to focus your time versus money. Um, But there's just unlimited resources to ironically watch about like (laughs) forming your own small business and running it. And what do you think about, actually, I just thought of a, of a question when you're, when you're talking there about, so you had mentioned, um, I don't remember if you mentioned on the show or whether I just talked to you about this, but you had taken your, you had taken your blog, for example, um, and you took it and you took it off of medium. Now, one of the, the big, one of the bigger tips out there when someone looks for what looks for help making an online business is get on these platforms, right? Get onto medium, get onto this or guest post. You know, if, if someone already has an audience, do this stuff, get on somebody else's platform, get on dev to get on whatever. And they'll kind of push your content out. One of the things that actually to tie it to Mike and myself, we're, we're looking at making this, this hat website and we're struggling with, you know, do we just post everywhere? Do we post on medium and dev to and on and on our own site do we want to only have our own site like where is the platform yeah. worth everything do we just get us like a newsletter what like what side of it do do you kind of fall on i wish with renair watch i'd focused more on the email newsletter from the beginning um i left it at the footer of the website and was like if people want to sign up and find value they'll do that on their own and it's my my email list is minuscule i think email lists are like super buzzwordy and what everyone looks to with small businesses, but they're the most direct way of contacting your audience and controlling it versus social media and stuff. Like I want to move away from social media. Eventually I'm building a rear watch app. Like I want to have the newsletter be how I talk to my people. Um, And so it's, um, wow. I, I'm out of it tonight. I was, I had another thing too that I was going to address there. Um, but basically it's, I think that, and I don't know if the stats back this up exactly, but I think sites like media medium specifically, I think is kind of dead. I think that was the way to go a couple of years ago. Uh, and that's one reason I want to control all my own content from now on. I don't really care about, um, 
hitting massive amounts of traffic. Like one of the, that, uh, one of the articles I wrote about an MVP that I built while I was at code school blew up on medium and got me tons of traffic and got me tons of traffic to that, that MVP site. Um, but since I've moved it to my own blog and I don't, I just want more control of it. I want to have it on my own platform. And I think I would recommend definitely put everything on your own platform. And then probably what I would say to you is test out medium, put a couple posts on medium and, Dev2, I know Dev2 is probably actually like the medium replacement for developers. So I would say probably scrap medium. It's, everything's paywalled there now that they have investors that want them to make money. And so I don't think the audiences are necessarily there, but I would still say it might be worth testing. But I would say definitely have your own blog on your own site with your newsletter attached um, at the bottom to, as a sort of a CTA. And then also probably post several articles to Dev2 and see how that traction works. And you're right, like having using existing platforms that have those audiences built into them is super useful and super helpful. Um, but I, I prefer at the end of the day controlling my own content. So at the very least, definitely own it on your own platform and uh, work on the, the email newsletter. Because um, that's, that's just like, I can't think of a better way to directly communicate that's not through someone else's channels. Like it's just an email. It's like a it's, it's pretty simple. Um, and I don't like being tied into social media networks for a massive variety of reasons. Uh, does that, I think that addressed everything in there. Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Mike and I were, that's kind of why we were, I mean, we didn't write that much, but that's kind of why we were struggling with the medium idea is because it is a paywall it's almost like as if you're writing for something like the New York Times or something where someone has to pay for the pay for the New York Times paywall and then they can read their articles or whatever, or there's a certain amount free a month or however they handle that. Um, mm -hmm. But or otherwise, I had to share the friend link, which you can do on Medium, but then you don't get any of the revenue on there and then you have that problem. I also mm -hmm. I mean, like not, not to just like rip on Medium, but I for some, I don't know. Mike noticed this. There's something really weird going on. So. We write an article, it doesn't do that well. And then a year later, it blows up and we get hundreds of views a day. And this has happened mm -hmm. consistently over two or three of our articles, myself and Mike separately. And it's just like, we don't know what's going on. And a second thing is, I don't know about you, but I feel like Medium has become the written YouTube. All the articles mm -hmm. are like, the headlines are like super, super like grabby. Like, this is why React is dead. It's like, oh, here mm -hmm. we go. Like, of course, of mm -hmm. course, React's dead, you know. This is why cars <laughs> aren't driving anymore. Like, oh, yeah. oh Five now I gotta click it. why your milk is going to kill you in two days. <laughs> yeah, it, it's literally like, it, it's just gotten to that point where I expect that on YouTube, but I, I understand that there's clickbaity articles in general, but I just, I don't know, it's it, on Medium and just from my experience, it's just, it, it, it's become that. And I don't know what happened. I felt like it was, a, it used to be a big thing where you could just have a publication on there and like share it like a Facebook page. Now it seems to me like, nope, you have to, you have to have this paywall and you have, you know, it's. I, I bet it's the competitive nature of trying to um, grab people's clicks because up until they did the paywall, people could click on as many things as they wanted. But now right. it's like you get two free views a month. And so these, these headlines have to be as grabbing as like as enticing as possible to bring in that user who's really like I've, I go on Medium 
never. Like I used to, now I only go on it when I click on an article from Google, basically. Like I used to browse Medium frequently, probably at least a few times a week and read different things and, and learn knowledge and stuff like that. But it's because of that paywall, like I'm not going to pay for that. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, I'm a, I'm a cheapo, <laughs> even well, it though I understand, but there's no such thing as a free lunch, but yeah. Like they, they allow you to post for free to be clear and you can post mm-hmm. your article and not have a paywall, but then you mm-hmm. won't get in as many recommendations. I think you only get in some of them or, or there's some sort of restriction. Like you won't become featured in any large capacity unless you join this medium, whatever the paywall program. And like, mm-hmm. I'm in it. Like they, they approved me and all that. And I made like a dollar or something on one of my <laughs> articles, but it's, it's like, I don't know it. I'm the same way as you. I used to go on medium almost every day. I would like at least look at it. And then they just started giving me these, these really clickbaity articles. And then I, and then they introduced the paywall thing and it was like, okay, like I'm out of here. Like <laughs> I, don't, I don't need this. Yeah. What's tricky is they were trying to, I think some of it was they were trying to monetize and give money back to those people creating content. And so I understand that. And I, like, if you write a really good article there, you should be compensated for the traffic that you bring to the site because that's how the internet works sort of like you're paid for your time and your value and what you're providing to everyone else so i can kind of understand why they did the paywall but also i hate it and i don't visit the site so <laughs> yeah it's it, it, it's exactly that it's like i i still have my media membership although i don't know for how much longer and i, I still go on there occasionally um and i definitely you know if it was more than a dollar i'm sure i'd be singing a different tune uh but it's just, it's one of those things where I think that it's, it's, a, it's messy because if let's say hat releases its site and we write a bunch of blog posts, it would be hard for me. It would be a hard sell for me to say, Hey, this is paywalled like a newspaper. Yeah. Whereas that's sort of where we're at with hat on medium. We don't have thousands of followers. So it's like, Hey, let's hope that the medium guys feature us. You know, you're kind of on that gamble. So mm-hmm. a lot of our articles have done well from what I can see just based on searchability. So w- one of the ones that did well for me was the Vue.js uh, article that deals with JSON. And it's because when you search for Vue.js JSON on Google, it be- it's in the top five or whatever. Oh, yeah. okay. So that it, that's literally the only reason. Medium actually did nothing for me other than provide a good SEO scheme for yeah. the article. So if technically, if we were to have written that article on our site and we had really good SEO, potentially we could have been getting all that traffic on our site. Now, whether we could match the SEO of Medium is questionable. Uh, I'm not sure. That's but the that, value they give you even if you don't subscribe to the paywall thing as a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. But maybe we could. I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're developers. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> hopefully if I'm not on my like Facebook and have to like figure out how to use Facebook in, in a week and then Twitter the next week. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think this was a really great conversation. I don't know if you guys have anything else to, to add or anything, but if you don't, David, please take the floor. Let everyone know exactly what you're working on, where they can find you. And we'll of course include all that stuff in the show notes. Cool. Uh, yeah, David Lindahl, thanks guys for having me. Appreciate the time. I'm a freelance tailwind and view developer if you didn't glean that already from the conversation. So let me know if you need sites built with that uh, and hurry up because I might be hired by a super cool firm coming soon and stay tuned. Um, 
or rather you can find my website davidalindahl.com and my twitter which i already mentioned off striker 27 those are the best ways to follow what i'm doing and what i'm up to we'll leave them in the show notes cool well thank you for uh thank you for going on the coming on the show again and i'm sure we'll uh, we'll have you on again in the near future sounds good Well, I really hope you enjoyed that interview with David as much as we did. And we have another surprise coming at you. We, of course, had our intro, new intro. Now we have our, where we had our sound effects. And now we're about to have a new outro. But not before, I thank our Patreons. That's our patrons, Patreons, whatever they're called. But many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gadgel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. And DL Ford from dlford.io. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And I'm going to let this new intro sign us off. That's outro, not intro, but you get what I mean. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.